Awesome. Well, uh, Pastor Mark could not be here tonight. He is in Atlanta and uh, filming a television program for Focus on the Family. They're doing an interview with Pastor Mark. Focus on the Family will never be the same. (laughs) And so uh, just keep him in your prayers. He had a pretty bumpy ride in the airplane on his way down to Atlanta, but they made it. So we'll pray that he returns safely. And uh, tonight, I thought, uh, he gave me the option. He said, you can either teach, continue teaching what I was going to teach last week, Isaiah 58, which for those of you who have read Isaiah 58 before, it talks about fasting the whole chapter, and I didn't feel like talking about that tonight, because I'm not very good at it. So, I thought, uh, past Mark, can I talk about something else? I don't believe in it. And, no, he was just, and, uh, no, he... He said, sure. He laughed and he said, sure. I said, I'm going to leave it to you next week. So you better get busy and stop eating and uh, get ready for next, next Wednesday night. So I think he'll be back and they're going to continue in, uh, in Isaiah. We are going to look into Ephesians because last time I was here, we were uh, studying Ephesians and we're just going to continue that. Tonight we are in Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians is in the New Testament of your Bible and uh, situated in there between Galatians and uh, Colossians, so if you would turn there. I'm sorry, Philippians. And we will read verse 1, starting in Ephesians 3. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, uh, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation As I have already written briefly, in reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was made, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I love how this chapter starts off. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, uh, and then he had a senior moment. Uh, And his whole process, his whole train of thought just stops right there. Do you notice that? How many of you have an NIV Bible tonight? He starts off real good. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, dash. Uh, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace. In other words, even Paul the Apostle could have a senior moment. He just completely lost his train of thought and went off in another direction. How about them Packers? I love that. And his thought process, it just takes a vacation. And then it doesn't come back to him until verse 14. And he starts again. And the same words, for this reason, <laughs> I kneel before the Father, etc., etc. I remember reading this chapter for years, trying to figure out what is he, what is this all about? You read it in the King James, there's no dash, there's no paragraph, there's nothing. It's just all one. And I was like, what is this? And then uh, when I... <laughs> When I got my NIV Bible, thank God, they separated out in paragraphs. So I hope that you have that because then that explains everything. He just shifted. He just had a shift in his thought processes. Oh, by the way, 
um, this abrupt change of subject in verse from verse from verses one and two. You remember that in chapter one, Paul shared the content of his prayers for the Ephesians. I have not stopped giving thanks for you, he said, remembering you in my prayers. This chapter centers mainly around prayer as well. It's a continuation of Paul's prayer in chapter 1. But this digression here is important and it contributes to what we have been talking, or what we're going to be talking about tonight, which is the mystery of the gospel. I've uh, entitled this the transformation mystery. And, and, And it really is a mystery. And so... Uh, the mis- until this time, the mystery of the gospel, until this first century, had been a mystery to both Jew and Gentile. Uh, and so now Paul is going to explain it. The words in verse 2, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you, are a reminder to those Ephesians who had not met Paul personally. I'm assuming, in other words, that you've heard, you guys have heard about me from your other Ephesian brothers. The word administration can also be translated stewardship here. And he just he's just simply reminding them of this lifelong assignment that was given to him by God, the caretaker, the steward of the gospel of Jesus Christ. F.F. Bruce points out that Paul used this same terminology in other letters to describe his mission, his calling, his stewardship. I, uh, 1 Corinthians 9.17, I am simply discharging the trust or the stewardship committed to me. Uh, Colossians 1.25, I have become its servant, the church's servant, by the commission or stewardship that God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. You know, I remember one of the most exciting things about the Indiana Jones movies was the mystery that surrounded those stories. I mean, whoever the guy was that wrote those stories was really, really gifted at getting our attention with a sense of mystery. I remember during the first movie, the mystery element in the story was the discovery of the Ark of the Covenant in Egypt during the time of Hitler. And the mystery part is that there were certain historical uh, archaeologists, there was a certain historical archaeologist that had the map and the codes that were necessary to find that ancient Ark and that the Nazis had part of it, but not all of it. And the only person who could find out where the Ark was was the one who possessed that mysterious final piece of the puzzle. The same thing happened in the third Indiana Jones movie, Only this time he was pursuing the Holy Grail and someone had the key to the location of the Holy Grail and that someone happened to be Indiana Jones' father. So through a series of events, Indy found the Grail and he unlocked its mysteries. But what attracts us to these kinds of movies? What is the big attraction? It's the mystery, isn't it? It's the mystery of the unknown. We are attracted to those kinds of things and I think I know why. I believe that every man and woman knows in his or her heart that there is something out there beyond all the physical and it is vast and it is unknowable. We know that it's there. It's mysterious because we can't wrap our, our hands around it. We can't touch it, but we know it's there. We Christians have come to learn that this mystery is actually very real. 
And Paul described the mystery in different ways to us. He, he, he talked about it being the administration of God's grace or the mystery of Christ or the mystery of the inclusion of the Gentiles into the family of God along with the Jews or the mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God. The revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past which is the gospel of Jesus Christ is what he talked about in Romans 16. And in Romans 11, the mystery that Paul wished to divulge to the Romans regarding the Gentiles being included in the church. Lots of use of that word mystery in the letters of Paul the Apostle to the church. We find the word mystery a lot in his writings. My NIV study Bible explains it this way. The so-called mystery religions of Paul's day used the Greek word mysterion in the sense of something that was to be revealed only to the initiated. Paul himself, however, used it in a little different way. He used mysterion to refer to something formerly hidden but now revealed by God for everybody to know and understand. And so, the will of God today, His will is that all people everywhere, Gentile and Jew, come to know the mystery of Jesus Christ. It was a mystery to everyone, but it doesn't have to be a mystery any longer. It doesn't have to be. In addition to the passages of Scripture that I referred to above, there are other passages of Scripture in the New Testament that demonstrate the language of mystery. Beyond all, uh, first, first Timothy 3, beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. He appeared in a body. He was vindicated by the Spirit. He was seen by angels, preached upon among the nations, believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. Um, that's, these are the details of what Paul called the mystery of the incarnation of God in Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 2, we speak of God's secret wisdom. A wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So this verse speaks about the mystery and the eternal plan that was actually brought to completion with the death of Jesus on the cross. Finally, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. But we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. This refers to the resurrection of the dead, both the righteous and the unrighteous dead, when Christ returns to judge the earth. It's all enshrouded in mystery, but the mystery language that's used there is used differently by Paul than the Greeks were using it because Paul meant for every man to hear this good news and he relayed to us, you know what, God wants everybody to understand these mysteries. We're learning in Ephesians that it is God's will that every person be transformed from sinner to saint. In 2 Corinthians, that new person is called a new creation or literally a new species. For our earthbound intellects, it's very difficult to grasp that concept. How does a person still living on earth all of a sudden become a new creation? Well, it's a mystery. We don't know 
completely how that happens. How does an infinite, invisible God place himself in a finite human container and then come to earth? It's a mystery. How does that same God in that same human container after dying then rise from the dead? Mystery. How will that same God raise all human beings from the dead in order to face him at the end of time? It's a mystery. At least, that's the word Paul used again and again, so that these were, you know, to the effect that these were not mysteries which were to remain hidden. He just said it's a mystery for a lot of people, but, and it was hidden, but it's not hidden any longer. God intends to reveal it to those who will believe. It is God's perfect will that you and I, in these times, understand this revelation about Jesus. Isn't that cool? He's not hiding it from us any longer. We are talking more specifically tonight about the mystery of human transformation. And I say that because the whole epistle of Ephesians is about transformation. And our transformation happens, this mystery of human transformation happens through the influence of another mystery, which is Christ in us. He actually comes to live in us. The topic of the series is spiritual transformation. And all of a sudden we come to this third chapter in Ephesians. We're running into this word mystery. It's mentioned four times in seven verses. And we also understand, though, that Paul is not using the word mystery here in an esoteric sense, something that's meant to be understood just by a select few people. Instead, he is using it in the sense of the message of the gospel. I preach the good news of Jesus. Yes, it has been hidden for ages, but it is now revealed to everybody who will listen and believe. It was a mystery, but it is a mystery no more. The mysterious gospel of Jesus Christ has done something no one could have expected or believed. It made a way for both Jew and Gentiles to become part of a one worldwide faith community. Verse 6 says this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Listen to the phrases that Paul uses to describe this mystery. Heirs together, members together, sharers together. And where does transformation come into the picture there? I'll tell you how that happens. Because nobody, no one can live together in the kind of unity that Paul is describing in these verses without major transformation. (laughs) Amen? And he was saying to the Jews and the Gentiles, hey, you guys can unite together now. You can be together. You are heirs together, members together, sharers together. That was a miracle. And if you don't think that was a miracle, look at the problems going on in the Middle East even today. And the peace talks that persist. The peace talks that have been trying, they've been trying to be successful since you and I have been in existence. It's hard. 
There is very little peace in the Middle East right now. But Paul said, in Christ, Jew and Gentile can come together and live in peace. And that's where we'll find it. But without a transformation in the heart, it's not going to happen. It's just impossible. Verse 7. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of His power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory." He used himself as an example of the miracle of the transforming power of God. We talked last time and in the time before that when I was here teaching about Paul's transformation. How he said to them, you know, once I was this guy, but now I'm this guy. Paul hated Christians. He was arrogant and stubborn and hateful and he used his religion as an excuse for his behavior. He hunted down Christians wherever he could find them thinking of them as traitors to the Jewish faith. Christians died because of Paul. Families were torn apart and separated forever because of Paul. Men and women were hunted like animals and thrown out of their families and their communities because of Paul. But the gospel that he hated and the mystery of Christ, which he was too blind to see, eventually caught up with that man. And that same gospel that he hated ended up transforming him. And now listen to his language. I became a servant of this gospel <laughs> whereas before he hated it he says I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone a mystery no longer to make plain to everyone the administration or stewardship of this mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God. If you go back to that amazing day when this miracle happened in Paul's life, you'll notice something that took place the moment that he was converted to Christ. Acts 9.3 says this, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground, heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? After a few brief moments, verse 8 says, Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he couldn't see. 
So they led him by the hand into Damascus. And when Saul got to Damascus, God sent a man named Ananias to pray for Saul. And when Ananias saw Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. You've probably heard the phrase, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. (laughs) Well, that was the case here with Saul. Saul of Tarsus was, was one of the most murderous persecutors of the church who lived at that time. His power and influence were immense. He was feared by many and he was challenged by no one. And I asked myself, why? How did this man get like this? And when I see what happened during his conversion, you take a good close look at his conversion, you begin to understand. First, he was blinded by God, and then he was given sight by God. And those two things help us to see why these things that we speak of concerning Jesus Christ remain mysteries to so many people. Why did Paul have to be struck with blindness at that point? Doesn't that seem a little like overkill? I prayed and received Jesus Christ when I was 20 years old and God didn't have to strike me blind. (laughs) He probably felt like it, but... (laughs) You, You idiot. No, this was a message from God to Paul. Paul, you think you see. Paul, you think you understand. But this is what you're really like. Bang. And he was blind. In reality, Paul's mind and heart were completely shrouded in mystery. Completely. He had no clue. The prophet Isaiah said that the Lord would destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples. The sheet that covers all nations and he will swallow up death forever. Wow, isn't that a powerful scripture? And that's what God was doing in Paul's life. He was enshrouding him just to point out to him how blind he really was. And then chose to lift that shroud off of Paul. And now is the time for the mystery of the ages to be revealed to us. The world has slumbered in mystery long enough. With the advent of Jesus came the advent of the gospel. And through the preaching of that gospel, men awoke out of slumber. And they do so still today, don't they? You and I have. If you're here and you believe in Jesus, it's like you wake up from sleep. Proclaiming the gospel doesn't require any tricks or sleight of hand. Bringing people out of this shroud of mystery requires only that we we speak of Christ and that they believe. And that God responds to their belief, which he will, because he's promised that he will. Paul said this to the Corinthians, we have renounced secret shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, 
It is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. He ought to know. He was one of them. So that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You see, what was a mystery before is a mystery no more. That's what Paul was saying here. And that was his personal experience. Even in these verses we're studying tonight, Paul said the same thing in Ephesians. God's intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. In other words, the transformed church is making sure, you and I are making sure that, that the secret is out. That Christ has come. Christ is Lord. He is Savior. And through Him, every man, every man now has access to God. Right? Isn't that cool? Every man has access to God. It's not a secret anymore. Used to be. Not now. Truly transformed people can now see, whereas before they couldn't see. Paul is reminding the Ephesians of this very thing right here. Hey, Ephesians, remember, 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 remember. You were that, now you're this. You can see. You were blind, then you were transformed, now you can see. Oswald Chambers wrote, Faith is the inborn capacity to see God behind everything. Chuck Colson wrote, There are those who would consider it the ultimate intellectual achievement to unravel the hidden counsel of God, but the gospel cannot be demystified. God will not be mocked by the pretensions of those who believe they might fully and certainly know his mind. You can't know the mind of God unless it's been revealed to you. But boy, once it's been revealed to you, once you understand, you'll start seeing everything. (laughs) Isn't that cool? Have you ever had people talk to you or ask you about why things are happening in the world the way they are and why it's so miserable and people are having so many difficulties and problems? You know, we find it sometimes difficult to give them an adequate explanation or one that they will accept but in your heart you know what's going on because the mysteries of God been revealed to you already through Christ you know that this world is on a downward spiral because of sin and death and that it's just going to keep getting worse you know that until he comes and renews this earth and makes a new heaven a new earth you know it's just going to keep getting worse and you also know that your mission here is to bring that good news, that mysterious gospel, to every person. Amen. Who will listen. That's it. That's why we're here. The ship is going down, folks, but we're here to save as many as we can before it hits the bottom. Richard Moe wrote this, Theology is best understood as a mystery discerning enterprise rather than a problem solving one. <laughs> I love that. A mystery discerning enterprise instead of a problem solving. You're not going to solve anybody or the, the problems of the world. But you can certainly understand them. 
You can discern them through the Holy Spirit of God who lives in you. We've been talking about this transformation mystery tonight. We've seen how this letter to Ephesian Christians recalls a time when they once walked in spiritual darkness and then Christ came and he brought the light and they could now see a mystery that had previously been totally hidden from all of them. We've seen that there are many mysteries when it comes to spiritual things. And we've also seen that when Christ opens our hearts, he opens our eyes as well. And certain things that used to be mysterious aren't anymore. And for me, heaven, I don't know about you, but for me, heaven used to be a mysterious place. Do you ever think about heaven before you became a Christian? And it's kind of scary and uncertain. And I don't know if I want to die and go there. I mean, what's it like? You know, people floating around on clouds? I don't think I want to do that. And then when the mystery was revealed to you through Christ, you begin to realize, wow, this That's going to be an all right place. (laughs) I'm not afraid of that anymore. There are infinite numbers of things, you guys, that we do not know about heaven or about eternal things. Heaven, for example, may be a mysterious place uh, for us now in, in, in the natural but in the spiritual we're already at home there and we're already at home there I feel very at home when I think about being in heaven with Jesus uh, I feel like I belong there actually probably more than I belong here maybe you feel the same way how about you how about you tonight if you're here tonight we've been talking about some pretty spiritual things maybe some mysterious things to you What about God or heaven? Are those things still kind of mysterious to you? Does the thought of heaven or the thought of meeting God seem a little strange? Maybe even a little bit scary for you? I know what that's like. You know what though? It is not God's intention for you to be afraid. Instead, God would like to show you himself tonight. He would like to demystify himself to you. He would like to open the eyes of your heart so that you might see him and that you might see his kingdom. Do you know what happened on the very first Palm Sunday? People welcomed Jesus as he entered Jerusalem riding on a donkey. Maybe you've heard that story. They hailed him as their new king, shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, Hosanna to the king of Israel. And they blessed him loudly and honored him for everyone to hear. And then, only a day or so later, these same people cried for his death. And they took him out of Jerusalem. And having first tortured him almost to death, and they crucified him, and they left him to die. The same people who thought that they knew him, who thought they loved him, really didn't. He remained a mystery to most of the people in Jerusalem in those days. 
Later, after Jesus rose from the dead, Paul says that Jesus revealed himself to about 500 people living in Jerusalem in those days. So probably most people there in Jerusalem remained in the dark about Jesus' real identity. It just slipped by them because there were way more than 500 people living in Jerusalem. It remained a mystery. But for those 500, a wonderful capacity to see was given to them. They saw Jesus in a way that no one else could. And that same miraculous sight is available to you tonight. And I pray that each one of you will open up your heart to believe. He intends for you to see again. St. Augustine said, it is of no advantage to be near the light if the eyes are closed. You can be near the light. Those people in Jerusalem were near the light and they ended up murdering him. It's not good enough to be near the light. You got to have your eyes opened. I hope tonight that your prayer will be something close to this. Dear God, please help me to see you. If you'll say just that short sentence, Dear God, please help me to see you, watch what happens. You'd be surprised what God can do with one simple request. Amen? He doesn't want to be a mystery to you anymore. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you and we love you with all of our hearts For those of us, Lord Jesus, who have come to believe in you, Lord, we cannot thank you enough for opening our eyes and to see how wonderful and beautiful you really are. And for that, we thank you, Lord God. Lord, we pray for those here tonight who may just be in that valley of decision, in that place where they're just not sure uh, what they believe. They're not really sure that their eyes have been opened. They're not really sure that that uh, heaven is their home. And and for them, Lord God, uh, we pray for your grace and your power to reveal Jesus to them just as you have to us. If you're here tonight and you feel the Lord tugging at your heart and that uh, you feel an urgency in your heart to pray that prayer, would you please repeat that sentence after me right now? You can say it out loud. You can say it in your heart. doesn't matter. God's going to hear it. Say this. Dear God, please help me to see you. Forgive my sins. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you said that prayer tonight, see one of us afterward. Would I talk to you and help you along in your new journey of faith? And pay attention because your eyes are going to open up and you're going to start seeing things that you never thought you could see. Amen.